In September 2000, I was living in Sydney, Australia, and I had a chance to buy some tickets for the Olympic Games that were held in Sydney in 2000. The tickets were quite expensive and they were difficult to obtain for the prestige events. At the time, I was a huge fan of a woman, woman's runner called Paula Radcliffe. And I was delighted to get some tickets to see her compete in the women's 10,000 meters. If you remember, she came fourth after trying to destroy the field from the very first lap. I remember watching the men's event on TV. There was a fantastic showdown between the Kenyan Paul Turgat and the Ethiopian Hari Gebrselassie. What I didn't realize at the time was in 10th place was the beginning of another Olympic legend a runner who this year will run his fifth Olympics in Tokyo for Team USA. And we're going to talk to him today and hear about his story. So hi, and welcome to Running Book Reviews, the podcast where we review running books to help you decide if you'd like to read the book for yourself. And we also hope that listening to us chat about running can help you keep you motivated about your own running and maybe inspire you to try something new with your running. My name's Alan, with my co-host Liz. We're going to talk with author and Olympian Abdi Abdirahman about his new book, Abdi's World. So this book is the story of Abdi's life, starting with leaving his home in Somalia in 1991 with his parents and siblings when he was but just barely a teen. Although Abdi and his family went from having a middle-class lifestyle to having only each other, Abdi expresses gratitude throughout the book for the many people who helped him along the way. Abdi will represent the USA in the 2020 Olympics, which are being held this year in 2021, in the marathon. He has had a long and successful career in running, and his journey is divided into six parts to represent the six Olympic cycles during Abdi's career. So part one is the Sydney 2000, uh, a lesson in possibilities. Part two, Athens 2004, a lesson in belonging. Part three, Beijing 2008, a lesson in belief. Part four is London 2012, a lesson in humility. Part five is uh, Rio de Janeiro uh, in 2016, a lesson in perseverance. And part six is Tokyo 2020 or 2021, whichever um, you decide to uh, to call it. And uh, this part he calls a lesson in unity. So a little bit about the author. So Abdi Abdirahman is very, uh, is, he's very accomplished. He's the only American distance runner to qualify for five Olympic games. Uh, he was born in Somalia. He came to Tucson, Arizona at the age of 16 with his family who escaped civil war in their home country. And uh, Abdi became an American citizen in 2000 and has represented the United States um, in the 10,000 meters uh, as a as a runner in the Olympics in 2000, 2004, and 2008, and then in the marathon in 2012, and he has qualified for the marathon uh, Olympic team for the 2020 Olympics, which are postponed to this year. And at 44 years old, he, the Black Cactus, as he's known, is also the oldest American runner to qualify for the Olympics the oldest male to podium at the New York City Marathon and the USA track and field master's record holder in the marathon. So Abdi uh, is a four-time USATF champion at 10,000 meter, 
five-time U.S. road champion at distances ranging, ranging from 10 miles to a half marathon. He represented the United States five times at the IAAF World Cross Country Championships and three times at the IAAF World Track and Field Championships. To this day, Abdi lives in Tucson. And so we would uh, really like to welcome, hopefully I'm going to say this right, Hirabi Nakaribu to the podcast, Abdi. <laughs> Thank you. How was my Swahili? Was it uh, was my it okay? Swahili was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yes, it was was good. <laughs> nice try, Liz. <laughs> I tried. Um, so I guess the first question will be: How did you decide to write this book? Oh, well, thanks for having me. Your podcast actually is a great. I'm just honored to be with you guys. And you know, just. Uh, for me as a runner, I started running at the, you know, just I make my first Olympics in 2000 Sydney Olympics and just, and I have a long career and I always want to write a book and I always want to share my story with the people. And, you know, because and everybody have, we all have a different story and we all take a different path in life. And, and my, my path, I took it to come into the U.S. My general path in life was it wasn't the usual path where you just grew up in the same in the same environment, you know, just where you grew up with the same friends. For me, I I left to Somalia as an you know as a young boy. I don't remember just and then I stay in Kenya. So I just wanted people to get to know me as a person who I am or what I've been through, and also just I wanted them to know my dedication and just also like and I just um, there's a lot of people just needed some kind of motivation or sometimes you know just you want to you want to you want to know what other people do what works for them and for me if and I thought it would be a great idea if I can share a little bit of my journey from my first Olympics through the next to through the through my last Olympics which I think is going to be my last Olympics maybe you never know but for now I don't know what the what the future holds, but I'm I'm focusing this Olympics. So if this is gonna be my last Olympics, that is a great way to end my career. And and also, you know, just share like uh, every Olympics are not the same. They they all don't have the same build up, you know, leading to mm-hmm. one Olympic trials always different from the other Olympic trials. Sometimes like my first Olympics was my I think was the best one to be honest. Like a Sydney, just they always come. When people ask me which one, which which one was your best Olympics, I always say it's my best Olympics always been my Sydney, and it was also happened to be my first Olympics, and and was the experience. And also, you know, like Olympics are always Olympics, but what made the one in Sydney so special was, you know, just the people in Australia, just being in Sydney, just how people were welcoming was. They were just amazing, and just an Athens, same way, just was a little bit different. Beijing was amazing too just different cultures so I just want to share everything that I learned from one Olympic to another Olympics I want to share with everybody you know just so at least I can and if I and also I did have my struggle like you know just you know getting ready for I missed Olympics in 2016 I didn't make to the trials I get injury and Mm -hmm. sometimes as an athlete we all deal with that thing and some people come out the other side and some people quit sports but for me quitting wasn't part of my mission and I never thought about it so and and we all go through those moments and if I can if I can inspire one person just not to give up when they injury or just you know just going through a difficult time if they can take a little bit of advice for me that would be great and that's the reason I wrote the book and also just to learn lessons in life from 
running to the real and, and and also i think running is something that you can apply into the real life too yeah i i think like i don't know we'll get to this probably later on but i think it's super admirable that you know you didn't make the last olympics and you you just kept on trying and you just you just trained through to the next cycle um, but I guess your story really started in Somalia when you were young. And uh, I know you probably don't have very many memories of that because you've now been an American longer than you were living in Somalia. So uh, is there anything anything that you can really remember about your previous life before coming to the U.S.? Yeah, definitely. You know, to be honest, like before I came to U.S., uh, we all, I did have a great life, you know, just to be honest, my life was like uh, any other kid who live in the U.S. now because we, you know, my parents have a good job. We, you know, we live in a middle middle class. We have cars, you know, we have everything. And, you know, and, we, and, and I live in town, even though at that time I never been outside the Somalia, but for me, town was just having a house and just having electricity and just, you know, the, the little thing we appreciate life and that just, you know, nothing, the big grocery, you know, just it, 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 it was different. But for me, that thing, that's the thing that I knew in life. And that's what, that's what makes us happy. And also that's just coming to us. It, it made me appreciate life more because having not having so much also just being, being happy in life and it learned me I learned that from doesn't matter how much you have you can have so little and can be also happy you know just because I went back I went back home to Somalia I've been to Kenya and and I saw those kids like in the village how happy they were and I say wow that was me at one point in my life and you know and that's the reason also that's that's what I wrote the book too I think we see that all champions no matter who they are and where they come from come through some adversity or get used to dealing with setbacks or adversity and they're champions because they can um, struggle through or, or either things in their life or things in their sport. It's never uh, an easy road for, uh, for anyone really, even the, the greatest champions that, that you can think of when, when you speak with them or you, you hear their stories, there's always a, a battle or an obstacle that they have to overcome. And I think we see that in your book that, uh, either that being, you know, your situation of being a refugee or in your sport, your difficulty with injuries and then not being able to qualify for, for Rio. You know, you didn't accept those things as, as things that would limit you, which is great reading. In the, in the, and that's a message for everybody, I think, in the, in the book. I, I noticed that when you came to America, you came without papers, so you had no birth date and they assigned you a birth date of uh, January the 1st, I think. Um, just sort of an arbitrary birthday. So when January 1st comes, do you have a birthday party or, or because you're uh, eventually you found that I think your, or your mother told you that your real birthday is March 21st. So do you have two birthdays? Do you have two big parties or <laughs> when, when do you have your party on, on January 1st or March? Uh, I do have January 1st, my birthday always. So, and that's yeah. my birthday and, you know, just that's my newborn that's just and that's what that and that makes me who I am today to be honest you know that's kind of your born again yeah just born again you know just uh, <laughs> but and also you know just it 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 was a difficult time for us coming to the U.S. you know just at the end of no one want to leave their home country or village you know just and for us like the least thing we want to worry about was uh like about birthday correcting things though 
what we want to do. We just want to get into the plane. So just uh, the, the easiest way, you know, to want to research and they were just like trying to take as many people as they can because you were in a refugee camp and just like, just like you, they will call you in this like a little room and they just give you, okay, you, this is your birthday, this is okay, the flight is tomorrow. And, you know, that's the best thing that ever happened to us and see yeah. you guys tomorrow. And, you know, and, and I just remember living in Mombasa at night and landing in Dublin, getting fuel and then New York, New York to Tucson. And, and you know, and I thought about that flight because I have made that flight, that journey again, a couple of times on my way on my way to Ethiopia for a training camp, you know, made exactly the same journey, just come from different city, coming from Addis Ababa to Dublin, where I came from Mombasa to Dublin. So, you know, and I thought about, it and it just, and sometimes I do, I'm a human being, I'm, I'm, sometimes I do get emotional and I say, wow, this was me at 1990s, you know, just coming to, I took that and look at me today, where I am today, I'm going to a training camp, you know, just instead of running away from something and going back to my, adapted home country you know it just is it, it, it is a great feeling it just then and that's just will erase everything that birth and oh that's that's my new life that's amazing i love that perspective so i guess the first question will be because running has been part of your life longer than it hasn't so uh how did you get into running you know, to be honest, running is just something that I found and, and, and is a God-given talent, first and foremost, you know, just, and, and I'm glad that I found it. And I know there's a lot of people who have the same talent that I have, but they never find it. And also they never get the opportunity to come to the U.S. and, you know, just have a have the great coaches that I have, have the great friends that I have, you know, just, and that's one part of it. And also the, the reason I get to the running, it just, I want to like, as a, as a teenage, a lot of my friends used to do sports, but I never did any sports. So, you know, just as soccer was kind of, I was kind of a little bit too old and I never developed the skills that I need to play the team sports. So, you know, because it's, it's, it's not like being back home where you can just play soccer in the village, but in the US, everything is organized. When you're on the team, you have to have certain skills, you have to develop some, a lot of things, but I never had that. Still. So, so mm-hmm. the best thing for me to do was, and I say, you know, I want to try it something that doesn't need the skills or so I, even though I thought I had this soccer skills but the coach had never thought I had it so and a lot of my friends told me you know just they say you should I think you should try to run you know just and I say okay they told me that a few times and one time I remember I went to the University of Arizona they were having a track meet and one of the kids who were running for who he was running 3,000 meter flat 3000 meter and he was dead last but everybody was laughing him and he's from the central arizona community college and i say if that guy can run at least i won't be dead last and i can beat maybe one or two <laughs> persons so and i just and the next day i told the, the pima coach i told him i would love to join the cross-country team and that was a cross-country season so i asked him hey I want to be on the cross country team. And he said, no, 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 you just know, just, you never run before. So you have to train. And I say, why don't you just give me an opportunity? He said, why don't you come to practice tomorrow? And I said, okay, I came back to practice wearing a pair of uh, jeans and boots. And he said, okay, run. He never even cared. He never even thought I was serious even. And I don't blame him because if I never see any, if you tell me you never run before and you want to join the cross country team, I thought you might never make it. So I would just let you, but he did this. He did let me run with the team and I came in second on the team that day and he just, he was disbelieved that I came in second. 
on the team and he said, you, are you telling me you never ran before? And I said, no. And he told me to come to his office next day and he gave me a pair of shoes. And that was the beginning of my running career. And a year later, I was at the University of Arizona. Well, it's a fantastic wow. story. It's great to hear that you're inspired by the person who was coming last rather than saying, oh, there was a guy right at the front and I thought I'm going to be like him. No, you looked at the guy who was last and said, well, if he can do it, anyone can do it. I can do it for sure. And that's one thing, you know, I just, I never shoot up for this guy. And I never thought the guy who won winning the race, I never say I'm going to beat that guy. I said, you know what, at least I won't be, at least I will be, you know, running with this guy. So I won't be dead last, you know, I'm just, and that's all respect. So it doesn't matter how good you are and how fast you are running as a running. So you're just putting one foot in front of others. Was there a specific moment where you thought, I can make a living out of this. I can, I can be a professional runner. To be honest, I never like that. Never crossed my mind until I, until I was down with my eligibility at the University of Arizona. I never thought like I, I can, I can make a living. I saw people running in the Olympics. I saw people, but like at the end of the day, because I wasn't that, I wasn't, I was good, but I wasn't like a world class. You know, my time wasn't like anything close to the world class. Even though my senior year at the University of Arizona, my time started proving a lot. So I was. You know, and then when I, my eligibility was up, I remember the Nike people called me. They called me. They say, hey, we would like to sponsor you. And I said, sponsor me what? They say, yeah, we'll give you allowance. We'll give you some equipment and we'll give you some money. And I said, wow, for real? And I said, that was the beginning of my career. And that's when I realized I can make a living out of it. And and to be honest, for me, it wasn't all about the money or making a living. I, first and foremost, I enjoy running and it's something that I'm passionate about it. And I never did it for the money, to be honest. Never dream about it, making a lot of money or just like being a professional. So that's just become second. I enjoy it. I wake up in the morning and sometimes even if I'm tired and I don't feel like doing the workout, I take the day off, you know, just, and that's, that's what I told most of the young kids. And I say, just listen to your body at the end of the day, you're a human being, you're not a machine. If your body's tired and you don't feel like doing it, you know, just, is your body giving you a sign that's your fatigue and just like you can damage your body more if you keep doing it. Do you think that's part of the secret is why you've been able to go for so long at a high level? For 100%, yes. And the part of my secret, and I, and I was never a high mileage guy. I, I did it like 80 to 70 to 80 miles when I was running track. And even after I moved to the marathon, I do 100, 100 miles. And and only average a hundred plus only when I'm doing a specific marathon training. When I'm not doing a specific marathon training, I consider myself just a recreational runner, to be honest. I do my one hour, like, you know, long runs and day just, and that's the fun part of it. You know, just like you make fun of, you don't make it a job. You don't like, you know, I just do the right thing. I make it a job those three months I have, I'm preparing for something. The rest of this is all about staying fit. And enjoying it and I guess enjoying yeah. the people yeah. and the, the runs with buddies and everything else. Exactly. How did you end up getting a call from Nike? Because uh, from what we understand, there was like you didn't really win any titles or anything at that point. And you just said your times were not uh, what you would consider to be like world class or anything like that. So how... How did you end up being spotted by Nike and, and recruited essentially? Yeah, you know, I think they spotted me because I, I had finished, to be honest, like I was a late bloomer. 
I was a late bloomer to the sports. You know, a lot of the, the people who I was running against, like at that time in my generation, the people like Bernard Lagarde, Mabe Kefaleski, all those guys, they were like, a, they were good in high school. Some most of Bernard was like, you know, just coming from Kenya. He was like fourth at the Kenyan trials. Mabe was a footlocker cross country champion. And there's a, this, and there was me, unknown person, just came in right in the middle of the season, started beating most of those people. And just like, I never, like when you look at a high school, I have no results. So it was just, I think like, and toward the uh, my end of my senior year, I, I did beat me, but for the cross country, like, you know, at the, the regionals and I beat Bernard Lagarde and they were the big guys, you know, at that, that time, like the best at NCAA have to offer and I beat them in regionals, but they did beat me in nationals and that's what the sport's all about. Just like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I, I finished second at the uh, NCAA cross country championship. I never win. I said, I finished second to Adam Goucher, 5,000. NCAA champion 1998 in Buffalo, New York. You know, it's, I have a, I, I, my resume, I might don't have the championship, but my resume, you know, was as good as those guys when it's come to time. I have run like a 20, almost 27, 54. So I think, and my coach, I think they asked him how long I've been running and he told them and they said, and they said, oh, this guy, and he just started running and he's running this goal. So they knew that I was like, I was a potential to be a good runner, so yeah. Okay. I noticed when we did the introduction, Liz was doing the introduction and she mentioned that you're called the black cactus and you made a big smile on your face. People can't see, but I, I saw you smiling. You seem to like that nickname. How did you get the, this nickname, the black cactus? Yeah, the, you know, the black cactus nickname is it just some... It just been in Arizona, and I consider myself native Arizona. You know, just even though I'm I'm originally from Somalia, I grew up. We all like I just I tell people like unless you're a Native American, you're not a native. <laughs> you know that. You know, Everybody's like, an immigrant. Yes. Yeah, you're an immigrant. Yeah. yeah, we're all immigrants. So, and that's why. I just and I say, you know what? I consider myself I'm the real native from in in Arizona, the Native American. But for me, like as anyone else, who when they say they native, I'm a native too, because I've been here for over 30 plus years. Growing up in Arizona, I always loved the cactus. I, and I always like, I thought they were amazing just because just the history, just how long they last. It's just like, it's just amazing. And it's a beautiful thing. It's just that, you know, Tucson gets so hot this, in, during the summertime, 100 plus. But it's like it it, it it is just tough and there I just see how they survive everything and yeah I just always love the cactus and also my neighbor Jim he always say he said I should come up with a with a nickname and he says Sagura and I said oh no no Sagura no, it's not that's not a good name he said how about the cactus and I said yeah black cactus sounds good and he said that sounds wonderful <laughs> that was the beginning of the black cactus in 1998. Oh, that's good. I, I like, uh, yeah, I think that the cactus is an amazing plant. Um, unfortunately, I've killed a few because I try and have them as house plants. They sell them in these little pots here, you know, and you yeah. could put them, I water them too much. So then they get, they get rotten because I need to, I need to ignore them for, for a while. I give them too much love is what somebody told me. <laughs> yeah. One question I had, I, I, I know that you ended up in a long car ride with uh, legendary coach Joe Vigil when he took you to Mammoth Lakes for the first time. But um, before you ended up going, you'd actually 
gone through several Olympic cycles where you never did any altitude training. Was there any reason for that or? No, it wasn't any reason. You know, at the, at the end of the, I, I've done it like a 2000, 2000, you know, I have done already Olympics in 2000 and then 2004. And and I have known coach Vihol and also I have known Bob Larson and I have known Mel Kavalski. He was one of, he's one of my close friends and just, I'm training partners. We used to train together a lot, me and him. Sometimes I would go to Olympic training center in San Diego, Chula Vista. And he always invite me to come and train with him in Mammoth. And I was comfortable where I was in Arizona, to be honest, I just finished college and, you know, just, and I was with my coach still, the University of Arizona, Dave Murray, which I'm still with, you know, I just, and there's sometimes like when you, and at that time I already accomplished, I'm already two-time Olympian. I could have said, oh, hey, I accomplished, you know, everything's working perfect, you know, but I wanted more. And I have seen Mip, the success that he had in 2004 Olympics, uh, getting the silver medal, which was amazing for the U.S. distance running. And, you know, him and Dina, Dina Castro, you know, just, and, and they were like American running project, you know, just all this thing that you see now, they have the running clubs, you know, like they have a, like a mammoth track club, like they have the, like a Barman Track Club, they have Nike Project, you know, the Hansons Brooks, you know, they have all mm-hmm. these groups, but they would, those people, we were the foundation of those people. We, you know, we started all the group thing and that's why I joined the Mammoth Track Club at, in, in 2004, because I was getting ready for the Boston, uh, New York City Marathon. And for me to have a success in the marathon, it was to train with the best. And that time at the best was Dina and Mep and their group, Bob Blas and Joe Vijo. Even though my coach was still overseeing my workout, I just need to have a group just, you know, sometimes like in a marathon, if you want to have success, you have to go with the group. And that's what I did. We did a whole episode on Joe Vigil. Uh We covered his book, Chasing Excellence. Um, yeah. So we did the whole history of, of, of Joe Coach Joe Vigil. How did you find he's a particular sort of character? How did you find Joe Vigil? I think Joe Vigil is a, you know, he's a, first, he's a, he, he's a great man. It's just I have known Joe Vigil for over a decade now, all my career, all my, he, he, he's been a part of all the teams that I made the beginning of my career. And he also like just someone that easy to talk to, easy to give advice and someone knowledgeable about running and someone who doesn't care who you train with, who's your coaches, just a, he's someone who care about you as a person and willing to give you advice without even you asking them, you know, just, just someone easy to talk to and amazing man. And I'm glad we have him our, as a, you know, as our coach, you know, sports. And he always like tell us guys stories, you know, Joe V. Hall, he always tell, tell about the stories back in the day, like all those guys. So, and I happened to meet Joe V. Hall, uh, Jack Daniel, you know, just I love I love meeting those guys and just for them telling me their stories back in the day about Jim Ryan, Bill and Mills, all those people. So it's just just amazing because I remember them having a they telling me about 1964 Olympics when they were getting ready in they have a training camp. They just build in they build a track in Reno, Nevada to get ready for the altitude. So just they tell all that stories just. So it's amazing. Just whenever I have opportunity to talk to those guys, I take advantage of it. Yeah, he yeah. must be a wealth of information. Oh yeah. You see, in the book, it's pretty clear that you have a really nice sort of relationship uh, with Meb Kafleski and um, also uh, Bernard Lagat. 
you, I think in the book you call him Kip Lagat. I didn't realize he had a nickname Kip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you seem like Kip, great yeah. friends, uh, but you're, you're obviously rivals as well. Uh, how does that work? Friendships and rivalry? I just It's just like any team sports. You know, we are close friends. You know, just uh, we talk, we go to dinner. Like I'm close friend with his family. So that goes same to map to we close. But at the end of the day, we happen just to to choose the same profession and we want the same thing. And our sports, individual sports, someone have to win and someone have to lose. You know what? Just we all train hard. And when, when the gun goes off, we tell that the best man wins. When the, when the race is over, we just congratulate each other. Whoever wins the race, if we win, you say congratulations. If I win, you say congratulations. Good job. See you next time. It's as simple as that. It's not that complicated, actually. It's just mm -hmm. only the weirdest that night before the race, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so that's understandable. And um, in your first three Olympics, you ended up running 10,000 meter. But I was wondering, how did you pick the 10,000 out of all the events? Like, did you try the 5,000 and it was too fast? You tried, I know that you moved to the marathon later and it took you a little while to um, to get, you know, the right training to be successful uh, or sometimes it's just the right conditions because the marathon is uh, very different. But how did you, how did you end up running 10,000 meter and being the 10,000 meter kind of specialist? Beginning of my career at the University of Arizona, like when I was there, I was a good 5,000 meter, 10,000 meter runner. I was both, I was both like a five and 10, back 10 champion. I was second at, I I, I, I even did better at the 5,000 meter at the NCAA championship than I did the 10,000 meter. And mm -hmm. even my my early stages, my professional career, I was a good 5,000 meter runner, one of the best in America. I ran like a 13 minute low, you know, just, I just happened to be, I just found out that I was more suited for the 10,000 meter at the world stage than in the US, in the United States because US, I could have made the 5,000 meter, but I was much better around at 10,000 in the world stage than I was in the US because my 5,000 meter was pretty good time, super fast. It was just a normal in the world stage, but my 10,000 meter was was good, was a was above average, you know, when I went to the Olympics and sh that shows itself in 2000. I have run, uh, we have run a prelims. The last time they did the prelims for the 10,000 meters. So you have to run the heats day before you get to the final. So I have run like 2740 and then I've run a 2740, which is at that, which at that time was pretty good time in the US or even the world just to run under 28. And that's just made make make it easier for me to run the ten thousand meters because I was already I already have a good five thousand meters, good five thousand five thousand meter speed and I have a good endurance. So combine those two things might make make the decision that easier. And then um, you also always stayed with Coach Murray for your whole career. So, uh, you know, because we often hear about uh, elite athletes when they'll change groups or they'll change coach, uh, you know, because let's say they have a period where they don't do so well, so they decide to make a change. Um, but that never seemed to happen for you. It, it seemed to be, um, you know, your dedication to Coach Murray and, to your sponsor is like unwavering. You just you just never changed. 
was there a time when you had other offers or that you were maybe curious to train under different coaches or uh, was it just kind of natural for you to stay with the same one? Uh, you know, and, and that's a great question, actually. I mean, that, I'm glad you asked me that question. Uh, it's, it, you know, it is, it was easy for me just to stay with my coach because like, uh, I don't know, there's a saying, they say you take it the dance of the people, I don't know. There's a saying. I just I can't get it right right now. But the the saying the saying I think is, you dance with the girl that you brought to the party. Exactly. Yep. You brought yeah. You dance the girls that you brought to the party. That's which is true. It just like for me, Coach Murray, he found me as a young athlete. I didn't know anything about running, and he developed me as a, you know as a first couple of years developed as to Olympian, and just couple, I made my first Olympic. I never like I never. I never even thought I was going to make the Olympic. He's the one who was believing me, always encouraged me and pushed me to do better. And always, even when I had a bad workout, he always told me, just, just a part of the process. He said, you know, everything good takes time. And, and he planned that thing in my mind and I always believed in him. And, you know, there's, and, and there's a time that I struggle and that's just a part of life. You know, just not, life's not always going to be perfect. You just, you, you're not going to have a smooth ride. Even in real life, if you have a, if you have a job, there's a point that you have to deal with something in your company or just some customers or some employee. You always have that trouble and you will be unhappy at this point. But you know what? You just stick it out and just keep walking toward it and that, that will just pass. And also, you know, the, the life always throws you a curveball and it's a testing. It tests me how strong you are. And I always believed in my coach and believed in my my friends and the people that who brought me where I was and just to change it wasn't even ever crossed my mind and I I even though have an opportunity to go to with the biggest training groups I was one of the biggest I, 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 I think I was the biggest guy they recruited at the Nike Oregon project Alberto Salza when he started the group I remember going to Portland meeting with Alberto and meeting with the former Nike CEO, you know, just, but I love the guys just, but you know what, but that wasn't for me. For me, I just, I was happy where I was and I was making the Olympic team and just, you know what, they have a vision, but it wasn't my, my vision. So just, I, I was happy where I was and, and I'm glad I made the decision that I made that day. And you know what, look, look at me today where I am still doing mm -hmm. it uh, after 40 plus years. You know what, who, who knows? If I went with Alberta, I probably would have been done for like a few, few years ago. I don't know. Just You just never know. But mm -hmm. I would never change for anything. So, and I'm just, and I'm thankful. I have Coach Murray and my friends and my loved ones in my life. That's it. Yeah, that's a good, um, that's a good lesson for, I think, life in general as well. You know, I mean, you said it so well. You said like you just stuck around and you just work through the the problems and it's a bit like that I guess with work you know sometimes you'll have you'll have times when when you're frustrated with your job but it's not always that that it's greener somewhere else it's it's every every job and everybody's life has some challenges so uh, you kind of, I guess, stuck through those challenges, but it seems like you you just knew that Coach Murray was the right coach for you and that uh, Tucson was seemed to be the right place for you to stay. Yeah. I think what we see as well is that uh, you value, even though you're a top Olympian, you value the journey and the process and the people highly. So you're not about 
throwing everything away to try to get a result. You don't seem to be that sort of guy at all. No, no, no. It's just the results which you put into that, what you get out of it. And also, it's also trust, you know, like for me, shortcut is the worst thing that you can make in life, I think, just to get something, a quick fix. There's no, there's always, there's a quick fix. You can get a lot of, you, you can do a lot of good things, but that thing will never last. We're always going to come back and hunt you. For me, mm. I'm in for the long haul, you know, I'm not in for a quick fix, you know, just there's even in, in, even in my racing, I can go run some races every week and make a couple thousand here, there, make, make good living but you know what i don't chase that i for me i pick on and pick my races i'm just trying to do well for those races that's it i don't look for quick picks i'm in for the long haul tell us about your opinion of uh, the african runners the kenyans and the ethiopians why are they so good are they good because they train at altitude all the time or why are they so wonderful they are wonderful because okay it's just like it's just like the in, in the usa why why the USA, why, they, why they're so good in the NBA or the football, American football or the Canadian, why they're so great in hockey. It's just a, for me, I feel like, a, and also people talk about Africans. They only, there's only two, three countries maybe we're talking about. We're not talking about the whole Africa. So we're talking about Kenya, Ethiopia, and maybe Somalia and Eritrea maybe. And those people, and, and running is a national sport to those countries for, for them. When you have like a, when, when you have a, like a, three or eight, nine, 10 camps each town and you have like about a couple thousand each camp showing up, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a two or three or four great athletes coming up or even maybe hundred. So, you know, just for them, it's like a, most athletes, that's their way out and that's their national sports and they wanna succeed. And we always see the one who succeed. We don't see how many people fail. And I've been to Kenya and I've been to Ethiopia and I see how many people are trying to be uh, distance runners, but they don't have the opportunity. So I feel like just there's some more more athletes are trying to be a professional than, yeah. than in the U.S. And you can even see in the U.S. now, like past few years, you can see how the distance the U.S. and Canada is improving. We're having like more people hitting the standards, you know, than when I was running in 2000. We're having like a we can't even get the one guy or two guy hit the 15 meter standards. Now we have like a 20 or 30 guys who are running the long, the standards. So, so it's really about them having a bigger base. It's being a number one focus for their, yeah, for their sport. Yeah, and also seeing those athletes who come before them, the sec- the one who had the success and the wealth that they built and the and the job. And, you know, the thing that they brought to their village, you know, because some, most of those guys, they're winning, they go back to their community and some of them invest, become a farmer, become a dairy, you know, product, you know, they produce a lot of job on those young kids when they see, when they see how, how, how successful those athletes became, they want to be those they want to, they want to be that successful too. And that's what that, the, the part of the drive. Yeah, we spoke with Michael Crowley um, about <clears throat> his book, uh, Into Thin Air or Out of Thin Air. Yeah, all about Ethiopia. And, and they, treat, um, they, they treat Kanenisa Bikele like almost like a god, you know, in, I guess out of, out of Africa, people who know running know Kanenisa Bikele. And, and even like, not only Kanenisa Bikele, like, it's just one thing. When you go to Ethiopia, like someone like me, for example, if I go to Ethiopia, like all the runners know who I am. So to be honest, like it does, like 
but that's national sports. It's like because I run against the I run against the guys when they come to New York City Marathon, when they come to Boston, you know, like all the, those who come to those who come to America to to do the road races. You know, those road races in the U.S. that life in Ethiopia, you know, everybody watched. And then when when I go there for a training camp, the people recognize me because because I run against their best guys and they say, oh, this is the guy, this is the Somali guy. And they just like, you know, this is the American Somali guy who run against, you know, just, and just, they know everybody. So just, and someone like Kananese, Kananisa or Haile, or just like someone like Mofar, when, when you accomplish so much in these sports, you become like a household name in those countries like Kenya, uh, all the East African countries. Um, I noticed in your book that you seem to like uh, camel's milk when you were in Ethiopia. Do you really like camel's milk? I love camel milk. Yeah, that's like it just is. I think it's some of the best recovery thing that you can buy, that money can buy, to be honest. It's just I... it's the best. So it, it is great. And maybe you live in Australia, you kind of feel weird. I know because there's a lot of wild, there's a lot of wild camel in Australia. And there I remember are, yes. the government, government was shooting them under Somalia. They protested because the, gov- the Australian government was shooting the camels, and and the camels in Somalia is a big thing. It's like a, is is a national animal. I, I was running in Nepal uh, about two years ago, and uh, we had some yak's milk um, when we were in Nepal, and I find it very very difficult to 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 drink this. Uh, I don't know if it's similar to camel's milk, but it was uh, quite awful. I couldn't. No, uh, I, I drank it because I didn't want to be impolite to the lady who was offering it to us because she was a very poor lady and she was giving, you know, what she thought was very valuable. So, but I didn't like it very much. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I don't think the camel milk is that bad to be like even doesn't. I think like a more like a goat cheese, even like a you know you cannot drink the cow milk without you boiling them. You have to boil them. But camel mm. milk is only one of the few milk that you can drink fresh out of the just like right out the camel. You mm. can drink, and that's when they are the best. And there was no such a bacteria. There's nothing. It's just like it's easy, unless you unless you the first time drinking, then you might have a little upset stomach. But that and that cleans your system. That's what we call. <laughs> What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I guess. Exactly. I think I think I'll leave you with the camel's milk tea, and uh, I'll stick to some other uh, if rehydration. Ever, if, you ever Ethiopia, if you ever make it to Ethiopia, you should go to the Bole, and then you should just buy like a camel milk. It's the best. It's just you know, and even in Europe these days, you can you can buy in Holland, Denmark. They sell oh, yeah? it in Sweden. They sell, it, but they're too, but they're very expensive though. I guess it's not produced there, maybe. No, they produce there, but they have like, they do the research and they, you know, just like so much, it have so much nutrition. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a big on recovery. And in the European country, when they find out how, what the nutrition value is, if it's so high, the price goes up. It's just like avocado, you know, like avocado back home, so cheap. You can find on the street, people selling the streets, like a 10 of them for like less, 50 cents. And then you go back <laughs> and then you come back to US or Western countries, one avocado is almost three, $4. Yeah, I have, um, I, I, I get a massage from uh, a lady named Wanjira. She's from Kenya originally, but she's yeah. been in Canada for a while. And she tells me when she first, uh, well, I think when she first came that 
she was surprised that people were eating avocados because back in Kenya, they would just like, there were so many, they would just fall off the trees and like they were on the ground, the dogs would eat them. So she was like, oh, it's like dog food. But here you pay like, yeah, $3 for one avocado over there. They were like in abundance and you, they were all over the place and you could just pick them for free. Abdi, <laughs> yeah, I remember watching on TV uh, last year, the race in Atlanta, the uh, men's qualifying race, where you came third. Uh, it was a very, very exciting race. Um, and I think you surprised a few people. Uh, it seemed uh, by the commentary I was listening to, um, you surprised a few people with your uh, with your ability to deliver in, in that race. Um, but you were only four seconds ahead of um, Courier, who, who came fourth. I have two questions for you around that. And I've always thought I would love to ask somebody this, these, the, 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 certainly the, the second question. You certainly looked extremely elated, like almost as if you'd won the gold medal. So did it feel particularly special because you'd missed an Olympics and then you qualified for, uh, again, for, for another one that it was beyond your, uh, your wildest dreams? That's the first bit. And the second bit is then, did you speak with uh, Career afterwards? For he came fourth, and you know he looked devastated. He looked absolutely crushed, and he didn't. I noticed he didn't do any TV interviews afterwards. Everybody was being interviewed as they came in. Um, so, how did you feel? And did you speak with the guy who came fourth? Mm, okay, well, let me. I'm gonna answer the 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 last part of the question. I don't know, just kind of. I went to. But I never, I never speak to Career before. I never speak to him uh, after the race. To be honest, when he okay. finished fourth, yep. But for me, to be honest, like uh, I remember, just about one year out of trials, I told myself, like after I run New York City Marathon and I run two eleven, two eleven thirty something, yeah, and I break the Masters record, you know, just and just I say, you know, I can make this team. I never, and there's nothing guaranteed, and that's the reason, and that's why they have races. To be honest, I never say I was, I was gonna make the team, and I say, you know what, my chance is as good as anyone. To be honest, and I never want to discount anybody. Just there's a lot of athletes, everybody training, but for me, based on my performance and what I did in New York, and I say my chance is as good as anybody, and that's what I take it from that New York, and I. And I started my build-up leading into the trials. I have like four, four or five months. I went to training camp in Ethiopia. I was training some of the best guys in the world. They have, we, have, we have a team, like Moderna team, a couple of guys. So Bashir Abdi, who ran 204, Mopara, Abdi Nigei, and he's Bashir. So we have a lot. And training those few months in Ethiopia give me the, all the confidence that I all the confidence that I need. And also your favorite athlete, Paula Radcliffe's husband. Gary Locke, who was helping me get ready for that race. And just for him, Coach Murray wasn't there to see me what kind of workout I was doing, but Gary was there and see me how I was running and him telling me I was, he said, you, he never told me I was going to, he, he never give you like coaching, coach never tell I thought you're going to make the team, but he said you, you, but for, I think he was doing like kind of like a mental psychology thing. He said, you chant, you're, he said, you as good as anyone. He says, it's your race to lose. He said, just, I don't know who else is training, but I see what you're capable of doing it. He said, what? If someone have to pick, I'll pick you. And all the guys tell me that. And and also, I got confidence of my work at what I was doing leading to that race. My speed was good. My endurance was perfect. And then also, also seeing about the media, you know, people talking about 
like you know just people picking before the trials you know it's a sports people pick their favor who who who's going to make the team and people have the right to their opinion they can pick whoever they want to pick you know just it just but even though i was i ran well in new york city marathon i have run like a 211 which is not i didn't even have a great day but they still didn't think i was capable of and that's just give me that little energy that I needed. So coming to the trials, I was as confident as I can be in my preparation and also like friends, family, everyone that who supported me and believed in me. So just, but my main goal was just to be the top three. And that's, you know what, I'm not going to count anybody. I say, you know what, there's two other spots open. So everyone else can have those two spots. There's three spots. I'm going to take one of those. And I'm not, I say, Whatever happens, happens, and and I put myself in a in a good situation, good position. I came in third. I could have been second, but you know what? Who cares? That's only one race that you can say the third place that's good as second place was first because we all go in the same place. We all go into the Olympics, and you know what? Leonard career. I'm sorry he was fourth place, but you know what? Someone have to be fourth, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. is what it is. So. Yeah, that is true. And uh, so now, how do you feel going into the Olympics? Because it was supposed to be the 2020 Olympics. And now due to the pandemic, you know, it's the 2021 Olympics. So and because of the pandemic, do you have like mixed, mixed feelings about going? Uh, you know, I'm, I don't have any mixed feelings, to be honest. I'm trying to prepare myself. I'm trying to put my energy, what I can control. I know it's been a tough 2020 and you know just we're still recovering from the pandemic and we know we lost a lot of lives last year and even this year you know just we're still not out of the woods but you know we're just hoping for the best but and I hope the Olympics happens but for me what I'm doing now is I'm just trying to prepare myself as as the best as I can you know just doing my long runs and I'm trying to be as fit as I can when I get to Tokyo and that's my main goals do you feel how do you feel about your training right now do you feel like ready to go or do you have any any like little injuries or anything like that oh to be honest, I, I don't have any injuries you know i don't have any major injuries nothing i i did have stress fracture in last october and that took and you know just sometimes i feel like you know that was a blessing from the sky you know i just it made me to get time just let me recover my body and what a good time to have an injury than last year than any mm-hmm. other year so and I'm you know I'm back to tra- I was back to training in like a late December so just I've been training for almost six eight months now and things are getting better and I'm in the right place you know it's, I, I'm I'm not where I want to be but I'm, I'm only a few weeks where I few weeks out of where I want to be so it just at mm-hmm. the end of the day in marathon it's all about if you're in a decent shape and you're healthy anything can happen so the most important thing i'm healthy now and i don't have any major injury but you know as a runner you always have that little soreness hip there you that's part of running so we don't call that injury yeah that is part of running <laughs> we were just talking Alan's about shaking that. his head because uh yeah we were just we talking about, about that, that before yesterday. we came on <laughs> about our little bobos as we call them most people don't get to, to go to a uh, single Olympics, Abdi, and uh, you're one of the lucky people who gets to go every, almost every time it comes around. So um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a free ticket, so I congratulate you for that. But 
for all of us who, all of us mere mortals who who never get to participate in these kind of events, um, what's it like to go to the Olympics? Is it different every time? Are you able to enjoy it, or is it just too stressful? Does it fly by? Is it like uh, like your wedding day? It just flies by and you you miss it, kind of miss it because it goes by so quickly. What's it like? You know, Olympic Olympic is like for for us as a U.S. athlete to be, and I know every every country have a different every 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 country have a different standards for us as a u.s you know just so hard just uh, just for me i'm i'm thankful and fortunate i never take it for granted you know just and i'm happy i made it five olympics but you know in, in the u.s we just like uh, as you say like people are barely making one olympics uh and for me i made it five and also, you know, the best exp- Olympic is amazing. It's an amazing experience and never gets old. You know, even this, even 2020 Olympics is going to be one of the best Olympics. I don't know. It's just, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like, a, it's, a, it's something that's going to go down the history. Just I say, hey, when people talk about 2020 Olympics, they say, oh, the pandemic, 2020, the coronavirus, you know, just like it's something that there will be that attachment. You know, they say they canceled and they have to come back. And for me, always, and I'm always thankful and I'm like thankful and I'm part of it and I'm part of the history. So just whenever you take a part in the Olympics, it's amazing. And it's a, and it's a lifelong experience, even one time. Do you always go to the... Um to the opening ceremony and the, all of the sort of party atmosphere? Do you participate in that or do you avoid Not it? Not really. I, I did the first couple, the first two Olympics, yeah, but the most of them, I did go to the opening ceremony, yeah. But like, oh, 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 if I tell the athlete, like if, if you have the opportunity to go to opening ceremony, you should because something that, because you never know if you're going to come back again uh, next four years because every four years and for you to march in, uh, with your team, with your country flag, it just never get better than that. It just that's one of the best thing in the Olympics. Like a lot of people remember as Olympics, we only have one winners, one gold medals, but most of people remember the opening ceremony. That's when people like sit in front of their TV and they wait for their country to come in and cheer for their loved ones. And I say, you know what? If you have the if you have the chance to go to the opening ceremony, you should because it's not something that you get to experience. It's only one time for me. I'm I'm glad I, I say I experienced that four times. Hopefully my fifth time would be amazing too. That's amazing. What do you think about the 2024 Olympics? Would you rule yourself out or do you think that, that you'll be trying to go to the 2024 Olympics as well? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a long shot to be honest. It's great. <laughs> it's me, only I, three years away now. I, I, I know that I know only three years away, but there's also trials. There's a, there, there's always that, you know, just, and I'm not that, you know, I'm not that young anymore. Just I'll be, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm taking one year at a time. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be there, but at the end of the day, and I'm not going to say, Hey, I'll be there. So, you know, I don't know what the future holds that hopefully the book is out now. So hopefully I'll be touring, you know, selling my book, just, you know, doing something that's also running. And if that time, if I'm still running and 2024 comes, why not? I'll jump the trials and we'll go from there. I suspect uh, anybody who wants to go to the 2024 Olympics uh, to run the marathon is going to have to beat you. Yeah. Why Mm -hmm. not? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, they said they already they beat me before 2020 before the 2020 before the trials they counted me out so hey it's okay that can happen yeah 
That's true. What's the legacy that you'd like to leave? Like, what, what do you want to be remembered for? I mean, of course, you're going to be remembered for making the Olympic team five times because that's just legendary. But um, is there any, any other memory that you'd like people to have of you? I don't be a great person, that's it. To be honest, like a good human, that's that's person for most, you know, just someone who respect other people, just treat people with the respect, it's just the way I want to be treated. That's it. That's nothing special about that, but you know, that's the least thing like one of people to remember, which is people say, Hey, he was a good guy. That's it. Simple as that. One small thing I noticed today um, on Twitter, uh, I saw an announcement uh, from the uh, International Olympic Committee. They announced uh, a team for the refugees for the Olympics. Um, 29 people in the team, biggest, biggest number of refugees uh, ever uh, for, for an Olympics um, from South Sudan and all, all kinds of uh, countries, uh, Syria, et cetera, et cetera. In your book, you talk a bit about uh, Lopez Lamont, you know, his, his difficulties with uh, his, his background uh, and um, Guo Marial uh, from South Sudan. Uh, are, the, are these people and their stories important to you uh, because of your own background? Um, well, for me, to be honest, like uh, I wouldn't say it's important to me, but it, at the end of the day, I just talk about those two guys because we kind of have like a little little bit similar, little bit like our story is kind of similar. You know, just uh, we all came to this country, flee from uh, war torn. Like I came from Somalia, they came from Sudan. You know, we might, we, we, mm-hmm. we all take a different path to get here to U.S. You know, and that's only the reason I mentioned those guys, but especially Gore. It's just that we have like an all like similar story. Yeah, Lopez Lomong has a book and um, and uh, I've read that one too. And it's, uh, it, it does, there's similarities. Like you were both children, you came young to the U.S. and started running by accident so <laughs> so um we've, we've kept you for a good while um i hope we haven't affected your training too much uh no, 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 we haven't good. taken time out of your training uh we really appreciate you giving giving up your time uh in, in terms of uh talking to us about your new book that's coming out abdi's world I, I don't know if it's actually released yet no it hasn't released yet but people can pre-order it in the in the website on the website yeah what's where's the best place for people to pick to pick up your book oh man it's a solace solace publishing yeah solace publishing yeah so you can from there okay. solstice publishing site or i guess yeah. Uh, yeah. once once it releases from all or any yeah, yeah, all you can find yeah, books yeah. uh if people want to follow you now that they've now that you i mean you used to be a little bit famous, but now you're appearing on Running Book Reviews. You're extremely famous. Uh, so, <laughs> if people want to follow you, do you have like social media or, or anything? Yeah, like they that? can. They, I'm not a big social media. I post once in a while. So, you yeah. know, to be honest, I'm like, I'm not that active in social media. But, you know, I have a little, my fun page. I, I do post once in a while. Maybe every, every couple of weeks, I, I'll put a picture. Here and there, as Abdi Run on Instagram or Abdi Runs on Twitter. So there. Okay. Abdi Runs. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I noticed you. You in the book, you seem to be pretty easygoing. You know, a, a, an easygoing, laid-back sort of character. Uh, fairly casual. I think it's part of your success that uh, you don't yeah. bring stress into your life if you don't need to bring stress into your life, and then when you do, you bring it in. You bring it in and make it work for you. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, yeah, I noticed, you take life as it comes. 
I noticed yeah. that you quote uh, you quote some U2 U2 songs. Are yeah. you a fan of U2? I love U2. Yeah, but that's one band I just always I loved it. And just you know. Yeah, that's uh, that's we have something in common. We can we can both run a 10k in under 40 minutes. And yeah. we both like you too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're just a lot further under 40 minutes than I am. <laughs> That's good. Just don't just stand under 40 minutes. We won't we won't go any other detail too. So exactly. we have something from under 40 exactly. minutes. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. We're the same. We're the same. Yeah, we're the same. Yep. And and make sure you get that under three hours though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Because yeah. then we'll be then then we'll all three of us will be under three hours. So exactly. we can see what yeah, we, yes. we won. We, we run the marathon in two hours, something just the same as Abdi. Yeah. <laughs> just don't say anything two hours. Just say two hours or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we wish you every success in the Olympics and uh, we're sure this book's going to be a pretty big success. Well, yeah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we'll appreciate it was opportunity and have a great day okay we'll we'll do a little wrap up but we won't keep you for that we'll let you we'll let you get off and get on with your business and uh uh, say thank you and thanks to diane for loaning the your zoom contact we notice your name has been uh diane naguri all the way through on the on the zoom screen (laughs) so say thank you to diane for uh borrowing her zoom contact yeah well thank you diane <laughs> you made this interview possible. Yeah. Good success, Abdi. We're going to be watching you very closely uh, yeah. and cheering for you every uh, every step of the way. All right, thank you. So, what's your what's your overall uh, view on the book, then, Liz? So, um, I guess I'll start with the cover photo, which is fantastic. It's Abdi wrapped in a U.S. flag and looking like the happiest man in the world. I don't know for sure, but I think it might have been taken at the trials. Um, I suspect after the it was trials, just yeah, after. yeah, uh, it's a fantastic photo. And uh, the main story was a journey through Abdi's long career with some life stories mixed in. Uh, there were happy stories like when Abdi and Diane decided to be a couple and how Abdi seemed to have friends all over the world wherever he went for training. And there were also sad stories like when Abdi DNF'd at the New York Marathon and then found out about his friend and training partner that had died in the same race. Abdi's story highlights how many people are involved in making an Olympian Abdi does the training, but in the book, he explains how important training partners were to him, as well as the support he got from coaches, family, friends, and sponsors. He repeatedly is grateful to to his coach, to his sponsors, to his training partners and friends that have supported him along the way. And overall, it's a fantastic read for anyone that loves the sport and um, a great insight into, uh, you know, the, the highs and lows of being an elite runner. My summary, the books are super interesting and, and a fast paced read as well. I found that pages were turning very easily, mm-hmm. zipping through. The value system the, and the personal friendships of some of the African or original African runners is, is quite beautiful to behold and you get some insight into that. And they seem to appreciate how their, their lives have changed for the better and they value highly their opportunities, mm-hmm. um, which is very cool to read about the olympics are usually a pinnacle in a story it's usually you know building up to the olympics but in fact here they're just chapters on a journey 
here's an Olympics and here's another Olympics. <laughs> and it's kind of very cool. The photos in the book conjure up some of Abdi's great running moments as well as his youth. So that's pretty nice. Um, there's almost a history in itself in, in Abdi's career. So great to see the photos. And I think Abdi's lesson seems to be uh, to work hard, but also to enjoy the process. And I mean, who can't identify with that? Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. A big thank you to Rebecca and Miles at Solstice Publishing for providing review copies of the book and also putting us in touch with Abdi for the interview. And of course, a big thanks to Abdi for spending time with us today. Uh, We'll link the website where you can go order the book uh, directly from the publisher. If you would like to leave us feedback about how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like us to review in a future episode, please leave us a comment on social media. We are running book reviews on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes when they're released. Or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Bye for now. Bye.